Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Viral, a podcast series looking at the spread of COVID-19 as it continues to affect Ireland and the international world in a growing capacity. Today on the podcast, we look at what needs to happen around Ireland in order for lockdown restrictions to finally be lifted. It's a long period of time that people have been asked to comply with these restrictions, and we know that, and patience does run out. It's one of the reasons why we would have said very clearly, as we introduced those, we didn't want to introduce them any earlier than they were necessary, because we knew we might be in a situation where, as time goes on, and understandable patience wears thin, they become less effective. As compliance reduces, effectiveness also reduces, and that's why our message is to try and let's let's stay the course and let's keep it going as long as possible to the end, and we'll try and get as far as we can by the 5th of May, and we'll make that assessment and make it available to you at the end of the week. That was Dr Tony Houlihan, Chief Medical Officer of the Department of Health, speaking about the timeliness of enforcing Ireland's countrywide restrictions earlier on at their daily Baggett Street press conference. On Friday night, Leo Varadkar will speak about any potential revisions on what measures might be removed on Tuesday the 5th of May after the bank holiday. As the days draw closer, vast changes are seemingly less likely, as testing and ICU figures are still not close enough from their desired level. On this episode of the podcast, we are looking at what exactly needs to fall into place before Ireland begins to move in that direction, but also how the country is faring with life in their 2km radius so far. Dr. Aku Velingna is an epidemiologist and joint research lead of the Corona Citizen Science Study, a countrywide survey conducted by research teams at NUI Galway and Dublin City University, which has looked at the impact COVID-19 and its associated restrictions has had on the daily lives of people around the country. I spoke to her about the findings of the results and what her predictions are for life after May 5th. Before that though, I spoke with Dr. Gabriel Scali, who is a public health physician and president of epidemiology and public health at the Royal Society of Medicine, and we talked about where Ireland finds itself now and what must take place before life slowly trickles back to any sort of normality. So Gabriel, in the context of Ireland progressing into a more open lockdown scenario, why are testing and contact tracing so important? People have made enormous sacrifices in the last number of weeks, financial sacrifices, social sacrifices, uh, all sorts of uh, hardships people have had to undergo in the last few weeks in order to try and dampen down the spread of, of the virus. And it is being successful. I think it's taking longer than uh, expected, but we don't know a huge amount about the virus yet. So it is taking time to get to grips with it. But if we relaxed the restrictions too quickly in the wrong order and without putting in place testing and contact tracing it would be really really 
dangerous. So we need to get the numbers down as low as possible and then have our uh, uh, case finding, testing, tracing schemes all set up and really running very smoothly. So the moment cases start appearing anywhere, they can be stamped out. And that's the only safe way to do things. And alongside that, you need border controls to make sure from our ports and airports that we're not importing new cases. Do you mind if we speak about that? I know there has been a worrying rise in cases among some of the border counties as well at present. Why do you think an all-island approach then is essential to prevent further spread? And I suppose what barriers are preventing that at the moment? We don't know why there's a a lot of cases, why there are a lot of cases per head of population in uh, the border counties in the Republic. But one thing is sure, we need to find out why that is the situation. And we can't do that without an all-island approach in cooperation north and south. Uh, So it could be that there's spillover of cases uh, from uh, the north into the south. Uh, If it isn't that way, and uh, the north has really low numbers in in their border counties, well, they need to know that so that they can take uh, preventive measures to make sure there isn't spillover the other way. Whatever the answer, we need to find it. And the only way to do that is to cooperate and to bring the actions in both places into line with each other. Now, some of them are in line. Schools are closed and a lot of the social distancing stuff is relatively the same. The things that aren't in line range from simple things like um, if you happen to be in Straban, County Tyrone, Mm. you'll be asked to isolate for seven days if you uh, develop symptoms. And if you happen to be in Lifford just across the bridge, you will be asked to isolate for 14 days. So that's not sensible. And uh, there needs to be an agreement about simple things like that. And then really difficult things, the fact that the North stopped all of their testing in the community on the 12th of March and have yet to restart a community testing Mm -hmm. program. And in fact, there's no sign of that. And uh, the absence of that is probably the single greatest problem about which there needs discussion. And I believe there's going to be a joint ministerial meeting this week and it should definitely be on the agenda. On testing as well, obviously Ireland has widened its criteria for people who are going to be tested over the past 24 hours to now one of the three main symptoms um, where beforehand you have to have two or more. Why do you think this step was taken and in what way does it progress after this into the greater population as well? I think it's a very positive step. Uh, when the testing was really rolled out at the beginning, as you correctly say, some time ago, it was narrowed again to two. You had to have two symptoms to get into the testing system uh, because the numbers coming forward were so big that, that the uh, testing system couldn't cope with it. So it's now back under control and the capacity has gone up, so now is the time to lower uh, the criteria to take it back to one symptom and see how we go with that. And there's also another reason is we've had a couple of weeks of decent weather, and a lot of those winter colds and, and, and uh, sniffles have disappeared. So there should be less confusion from other viruses. Mm. And I think it's a very good thing to do, and it shows that the, uh, that the Republic is really going to work quite hard and find all the cases they can And in fact, one of the really interesting statements, I think, from WHO, from one of their directors, was that you should really only find one case for every 10 tests you do. So we shouldn't be afraid of doing lots of tests on people with just one symptom, because if we find one test in those 10, that's really, really good news. And we should, uh, you know, kind of celebrate finding all the cases, Mm. because that's a real opportunity then to contact trace 
uh, to isolate and to stamp out that chain of transmission. So I see it as a very positive thing. For the tests that are being carried out at the moment, do you know whether they're also conducive for people who are either asymptomatic or post-symptomatic, or do you have to be kind of there in the moment, I suppose? Well, it's a complicated thing because there's been a lot of talk about two tests, and, and one is the, the test for the, the active virus in, in, in the body. And the second test is really a test for survivors of the virus, uh, a test for the antibodies they've produced. And there, there are two problems. One is, in those that have the virus, not everyone gets symptoms and not everyone gets severe symptoms. Uh, and may, people may pass it off as just, uh, you know, a, a chill or a headache or something like that. So it, that's a real difficulty. And our way to tackle that difficulty is plenty of testing. And then when you find cases, you find the contacts and those contacts are isolated. So you will pick up then some of those people uh, who otherwise would be asymptomatic and would be carrying the virus. So moving on to the antibody test, well, there's a problem because not all of the survivors of uh, uh, the people who get the virus and recover develop antibodies and they think about 30% maybe don't. So it has a, it has a role and it has a value undoubtedly. And uh, it is a very good surveillance mechanism to see um, what the proportion of the population that have been exposed and have had the virus is and so on. But it's, it, it's not the kind of silver bullet. And, and Boris Johnson in particular got so enthusiastic about these antibody mm. tests. And, and I never thought it was going to be a useful tool in, in, in dealing with the, with the immediacy of finding cases, etc., uh, and it isn't really. And secondly, they've had real difficulty in finding a good test. Mm. And that's partly, partly because the virus is such a tricky virus. Um, and it doesn't produce antibodies in everyone. And there is some question about how long, we don't know yet, of course, because we have not much experience with virus, how long those antibodies will last. So testing is not easy, not an easy thing to find your way through. We're only a couple of days away now from Leo Varadkar making a statement about the potential restrictions being lifted. I think most people probably envision not a huge amount changing. What do you, I suppose, envision a staggered approach back to normal life might look like? I think we should certainly not regard it as day one, everything's back to normal again. It'll probably never go back to normal, or at least not for some considerable time. So it will be a matter of easing some things and maybe tightening some other things whatever is effective. And I think secondly, we know that the prevalence of of the virus per head of population varies substantially across Ireland. So there may be some places where you want to have tighter restriction Mm. uh, and some places where it could could be looser. And you want to be able to change those things pretty rapidly as your testing system identifies hotspots and moves in to quash those hotspots. That's our best way Mm. of doing things. And then finally, as well, before we finish up, the HSE head, Paul Reid, has called for a more constructive approach to how we tackle COVID. So not just in the moment, but for the rest of the year and into 2021. In the absence of a vaccine, would a mass resurgence always be a potential threat in that case? Or is there a way to build up, I suppose, the immunity that we've heard of in different countries? Oh, yeah, I, I think uh, we want to avoid uh, another surge kind of uh, almost at all costs and uh I really don't like this notion of herd immunity. That has been introduced by people in England who know nothing about public health, just don't understand it. And they couldn't possibly talk like that if they did. At least I hope they wouldn't talk Mm. like that. To develop herd immunity 
for uh, a disease. It depends on the infectivity of the disease. But something like measles, you need to get up around uh, 90, 95% really. Uh, this virus, we don't really know. People talk anything from 60% upwards. But the more people in the country that get the virus, the more people will die. Mm. And it's not all elderly people and those with other diseases and et cetera, et cetera. It's everyone. And we shouldn't think about it as a disease of the elderly or those with other complications. Goodness sake, everyone's got health issues at some stage of their life. So uh, everyone's vulnerable. And to rely upon achieving herd immunity, that's a death sentence. So the way forward is we're buying time here. We're buying time, first of all, to find effective treatments. And there are lots of tests going on, trials going on at the moment of drugs. There are trials going on of, of using serum uh, from people who have developed antibodies, antibodies uh, being able to give that serum to people who are in the early stages uh, or even the late stages of the disease. And then there are trials going on of vaccines. And what we're doing, we're buying precious time to save lives. In recent weeks, over 35,000 people were interviewed as part of the Corona Citizens Science Study, as carried out by research teams from DCU and NUI Galway. The report gives a much more in-depth knowledge on how COVID-19 is affecting everyday life around Ireland, from employment to mental health and everything in between. Dr. Akka Vellingna co-chaired the research along with DCU's Professor Anthony Staines, and I began by asking her what they hope to find out through the research. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There are a number of things we were trying to establish. We first wanted to understand how people were dealing with the restriction due to the COVID crisis and how people were responding to the fact that overnight they had to start working from home, that they had to take care of their children. 
at home, they had to do homeschooling. So there were a lot of changes that happened nearly overnight. And we just wanted to make sure that we could document that and we could find out if there was any way of helping these people out by asking the right questions and broadcasting that back to the press. But over time, we now also see that we can do more of a trend analysis that because we've repeated it now once and we will repeat it again, we can see changes in the responses that are coming back to us. And for instance, one of these responses had to do with how many people in the household had flu-like symptoms and whether people themselves had flu-like symptoms. And we can see mm. there is um, um, quite a drop in the number of people that report flu-like symptoms from themselves or around them. And that is, of course, due to um, the restrictions that have been brought in. So in a way, we can observe changes in how these restrictions happen in people's mm. lives and even practically have an implication. The survey was divided into varying segments to grasp an understanding on how the COVID-19 crisis was impacting Irish people's lives on a whole. We first had a look at employment and childcare and employment Employment was, of course, very important because suddenly a lot of people had to work from home. Out of the 23,000 that were still employed, 28% of them were doing work remotely at least some of the time. Essential workers were faced with still having to go into work but having children at home. So the employment part was really important. We also needed to understand how people were dealing with it all. The change in a lot of people's working life has now brought in a number of difficulties relating to parenting and childcare. Homes schooling uh, suddenly had to be done by parents, sometimes when parents were both working, so also um, juggling working from home. A lot of parents ran into a lot of challenges, uh, and one of the challenges, for instance, was that they found it quite difficult to motivate their children. Another challenge that they ran into was uh, very practical uh, challenges such as not having enough laptops or that the internet was not good enough to be able to do the homeschooling. From the findings, there was a difference in where children of essential workers were being cared for versus that of non-essential workers. 92% of children from non-essential workers were being minded in the home environment, but this was not the same of those doing essential work on the front line or else food retailing. It turned out that essential workers had more challenges around that because uh, only 73% of the essential workers could have their children taken care of at home and they had to rely more often on childminders or family and even grandparents to help out with the childcare. The study also looked to find out how the government's measures surrounding social distancing and travel restrictions were being interpreted by Irish people. It found that the vast majority were extremely receptive of them. 92% of them indicated an aid or higher for, for instance, social distancing uh, recommendations and 83% gave an aid or higher for isolation recommendations. And when we asked about how people adopted their own behaviour at home, most of them, 77%, adapted their own behaviour at home and they found that more or less the same for the people around them. That was 67%. But in public places, people felt uh, less comfortable and 79% of the people uh, felt that they adopted their own behaviour, but only 38% felt that others uh, adapted their behaviour good enough. 
The study interestingly showed that the younger population were found to have more problems with their mental health as a result of the pandemic as opposed to the older population. The mental health was questioned in about nine different questions and we pulled them together and we used those nine questions because they were the same questions as were used in the Healthy Island survey in 2016. So we could compare the mental health and well-being of people today with how they were feeling in 2016. And it showed that overall, the mental health and well-being is lower today than it was in 2016. When we compare different age groups, we found, more to our surprise actually, that the older age groups were doing better as far as mental health and well-being went compared to the younger age groups who turned out to be struggling more. And of course, because we're going to do this survey again, over the, the next while, we will figure out how that develops over time. The survey suggested that this might be explained by the fact that younger people are likely to have experienced a much greater change in their day-to-day -day living than those in the older population. Everyone is aware that an update of Ireland's lockdown measures are due next Tuesday, and the survey revealed some interesting data on what people are missing most from their regular lives pre-pandemic. In our survey, we asked people that if restrictions could be lifted, which ones would they like to see lifted first? And we asked for a ranking. And on number one of this ranking, 50% of the respondents had their first preference to relax the two kilometre limit. And 37% had in second place the removal of limitations on small group gatherings. After this, it was a return to work and to school in third and fourth place. And finally, most people put the reopening of shops, pubs and restaurants in fifth preference. In relation to the revision on certain restrictions, the study also found a difference between what males and females wanted to see most. Females were more likely to put uh, small gatherings higher up on their rankings, whereas males would put up going back to work higher up in their rankings. It tells us also a little bit about what people find the most challenging about these restrictions and that two kilometer limit is really challenging for a lot of people. We also see that in the anecdotal uh, evidence because we allowed people to give some comments at the end and there is a lot of people that are reporting that that two kilometer limitation um, is what they find most difficult because they want to go and visit family or they want to go cycling with their children to get their energy going and a lot of people find that most challenging. From your professional opinion as an epidemiologist, what do you think is likely to happen next? Would it be unwise to see major changes in these restrictions? The government has an, an impossible task. It will be impossible to get this right. It will be very hard to relax too many restrictions at the same time. The issue is, of course, that every restriction you start to relax, you have to wait two to three weeks to see how these restrictions actually implement the spread of the virus again. So they can only relax one at a time and really slowly try and see how that has an impact on the spread of the virus. And if it has a negative effect on the spread of the virus, then they have to roll that back in before they can look at any other relaxations of measures.
do you think that it might be something maybe that would help stimulate the economy or would it be something that might, I suppose, lift people's spirits more, something like the 2K radius? It might be a small combination of both. I think the government is very aware that, it, that there are huge economic implications of this uh, COVID crisis. But at the same time, we're also all very aware of how people's mental health and their daily life is affected by the crisis. So they might look for opportunities to please everyone a little bit, even though that is going to be very, very difficult. There were a number of results from the research that shocked ACA quite a lot in how we are coping with the crisis and the circumstances which others are facing it. 10% of the respondents live on their own and uh, about 30% of them didn't have a conversation with anyone face-to-face on the day before. That means there is a big group of people that are very, very lonely and they have to cocoon, but it must be very difficult for them. I also thought the fact that more than 30% of the people have postponed medical treatment or a checkup, that is very worrisome, especially with 50% of them postponing a consultation with the GP, when the GP is very much available over the telephone or with uh, online consultations, and that people really have to make sure that they seek medical treatment when they need it. And finally, what I also thought was very interesting between the two surveys is that in the first survey, we found that about 6% of the people had flu-like symptoms and 17% around them were indicating that they had flu-like symptoms. And this time that has been halved to only 3% of the people show flu-like symptoms. And about 10% say that the people around them have flu-like symptoms. So that shows you that this social distancing and the, the social restrictions actually do have an impact on the spread of a virus. That is it for episode 21 of Viral COVID-19. I would like to thank Dr. Gabriel Scali and Dr. Aka Villengang for joining me on today's show. If there are any areas you would like the podcast to delve into on future episodes, please feel free to contact myself at ian.doyle at urbanmedia.ie. I mean Doyle. I'll talk to you on Thursday. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 